Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the latest trends in enterprise tech? Look no further than the Breaking Analysis podcast with Dave Vellante. This data-driven program dives into the most important topics facing the enterprise tech industry today. With a data-first approach that leverages ETR's renowned surveys of IT decision makers and insight from the Cube community, Breaking Analysis delivers in-depth research on the most important topics facing technologists and IT buyers. Whether you're a business leader, an IT professional, investor, or just an avid follower of the industry, this podcast is a must-listen. Just search Breaking Analysis Podcast wherever you get your podcast and tune in today to stay ahead of the game in enterprise tech. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for Cloud News this week, and we're going to jump right in mainly because we have some really in-depth articles this week, require a little bit of discussion, maybe a little bit more than normal, and I want, want to get right into it. So number one, the EU has introduced an AI act um, to really target U.S. open source software. This article was really interesting to me. Well, first of all, it's a little bit difficult to digest exactly what they're getting at, but the EU announced uh, an AI act to kind of regulate AI and AI development or access to AI in the EU specifically. Now, very broad jurisdiction, lots and lots of heavy penalties. But really, the takeaway for me is more along the lines, if you're old science fiction fan, um, this reminds me of William Gibson and Neuromancer uh, back in the days with Neuromancer and Wintermute and AIs being regulated and licensed. And that's what they're actually looking to do here. If an AI is introduced, it has to be registered. And then effectively, if there's any changes to it, it has to be um, re-registered. And also the one part I found really the most interesting and maybe a bit of a head scratcher, no API access. Now, how are you going to limit API access? And basically what they're going to do is require licensing of AIs um, that you can't have just wide open API access. Again, really interesting. I don't know exactly where this is going to go. A bit of a head, head scratcher for me, but also it just kind of, like I said, threw me back, oh, gosh, going on 40 years ago now, back to cutting edge sci-fi and AIs and the development of AIs. Um, so we'll keep an eye on this and we'll let, certainly let you know as this goes through. For our second article, the folks over at Redmonk, um, Stephen O'Grady specifically put out the progr programming language rankings from January, 2023. Now, of course, this is May, but it just took him a little while to compile everything. But what I really found here was super interesting. I, I love their approach. Basically, what they do here is they take some very statistical, analytical information pulled directly from GitHub. What are the top languages used? And then you combine that with statistics from Stack Overflow. Where are conversations happening and about which languages? And they kind of come up with a correlation between the two of them, and then they come up with a top 20 list. Um the top 10, uh, JavaScript, Python, Java, PHP, C-sharp, CSS, TypeScript, C++, Ruby, and C. Now, not much has changed. And that actually is called out. 
in the article, um, this lack of movement. There is some that are starting to show some movement, uh, both up and down. Uh, I know Go was mentioned as moving up. Objective C is something mentioned going down. But it is interesting to see once and a language has critical mass, uh, how little movement there is a lot of times between those top ones. And so with that, I'm going to move on to our third article, our third article. And we've mentioned Adrian Cockcroft uh, a number of times with the, some of the recent blogging uh, that he's been doing. He has a really good Medium post on a post that was done by Amazon. Uh, Amazon released one, and the link is in here, how they came out and said basically they were able to reduce their costs by 90% for Amazon Prime Video. And there is a lot of opinions about this article. And Adrian kind of came out and said, look, there absolutely was a lot of takes, but some of them were very incorrect and here's why. And then kind of took everyone through a methodology and a path that he calls serverless first. Now, serverless first does not mean serverless only. And this is all about the right tool in the toolbox. And there is absolutely instances in which serverless first makes sense. But a fundamental problem with the article as written from Amazon was there is a certain amount of refactoring that happens going from a microservice to a monolith when actually what they're doing is microservice refactoring. And this is something in a serverless first mentality people are going to continue to use and actually should continue to use. And he has some really good uh, data points on it, as well as some good books to go read about that. So definitely go check that one out. Every time Adrian uh, writes something like this, we make sure we we talk about it because it tends to get a lot of traction um, and is always, of course, very well written. With that, I'm going to move on finally to Google and Google AI has been in the news a lot recently. The Google Bard, unfortunately, was, you know, didn't roll out on, on the best of terms. And I think Google, I mean, it's safe to say they got caught a little flat-footed. And now at the Google I.O. conference, they announced that um, they're really going to be putting generative AI into just about everything. So they're doubling down on the integration of AI into over 25 Google products, Google Maps, Docs, Gmail, Sheets, et cetera, um, all the way down to, of course, the chatbot Bard. Is this a good idea? I don't know. I feel like this is extremely high risk, um, and it feels like a bit of an over-rotation. Will that be the case? I don't know. Maybe this will turn out extremely well for them. But it seems to me that other folks, you know, kind of thinking about Bing and Microsoft and OpenAI, when we talk about this, they got a lot of really good buzz. Um, people started using their products and Google had to do what they could to react extremely quickly. We'll see. Uh, in time, whether this is good or not. With that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News for this week. Coming up after the break, we're actually going to be talking about a really fascinating topic, FinOps, but FinOps specifically 
for AI workloads in the cloud. Today's episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by Datadog. Bring speed and scale to your security organization. Datadog Cloud Security Platform delivers real-time threat detection and continuous configuration audits across applications, hosts, containers, and cloud infrastructure. Built on top of the observability platform, Datadog brings unprecedented integration between security and DevOps aligned to shared organizational goals. As a listener to the Cloudcast, you can sign up for a free two-week trial to see for yourself how Datadog can elevate your cloud infrastructure security posture by visiting datadog.com security cloudcast. Sign up now and receive a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com security cloudcast. And we're back. And, you know, folks, one of the most requested things that we get on this show uh, all the time from our audience is while we're, we're very fortunate to have a, an opportunity to speak with all sorts of fantastic technologists and people who have invented things and, uh, and, and other sort of interesting things around industry is, you know, we constantly get a request of, you know, hey, you know, put this in perspective for us. Give us uh, real life um, companies that are that are using these technologies that are putting these, uh, you know, technical challenges uh, into application for business. Um, you know, give us give us people that are, you know, quote unquote, using the technologies and help us better understand, you know, how does this happen in real life? And so today we have a really, really special treat. Not only do we have an opportunity to, uh, you know, speak with uh, some folks who are going to give us some real hands on perspective, but we also get to combine that with a couple of really interesting technologies that I know a lot of you are are interested in these days and that are, you know, kind of top of mind for what you're challenged with, which is both, um, you know, as we move to the cloud, as we're leveraging the public cloud, how do we do that cost effectively? How do we make sure we optimize our environments? Um, but also, you know, AI is, is sort of top of mind for everybody right now in all sorts of different ways. And today's going to be really interesting because we get a chance to combine all three of those elements together. And so really, really excited to have both Sam Clark, who is the technical account manager for Doit, as well as Miguel Mendao, who is CTO of Recognite. Both of you, welcome to the show. So uh, so excited to have you both on. You're joining us uh, from from Europe. Um, Miguel, why don't you get us started? Give us a little bit of, of your background uh, as CTO and uh, you know kind of what your focus is these days. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for, for having me. Um, I. I come from a data background. I started working with data, as we normally say, before it was cool. Um, did my PhD in artificial intelligence, my postdoc in artificial immune systems, and spent a lot of my career through different positions, predominantly supporting businesses, doing data transformation, um, and building teams. Back in December 21, the opportunity to join Recognite came about. And you know, when I first picked up Recognite, they had come off from being an internal division of the Resolute Asset Management Group. And the ask was really to take what was a startup into that next stage of starting to scale up and bring them to a more enterprise level. So with that, especially in the prop tech space within the financial sector with asset management, there's a lot of demands as part of it. And I think that's really where uh, the relationship with Duet really came about. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I, I was, yeah, so I was learning more about, uh, learning more about Recognite. It's a it's fascinating to me in, in in two real aspects. One, I'm always interested when you know we, we've we've heard stories about companies having 
sort of internal incubators or an internal startup, uh, but to see them, you know, take it and then re- recognize that this is something that's not just valuable to to their company, but could become, uh, you know, a viable public service that that lots of different companies use. That's that to me is always fascinating. It, it shows that that there's a, a broader thought process that went on to to doing that. And then just the fact that, um, you know, the complexity of, of what you guys are dealing with asset, you know, real estate is such a huge part of, of you know, both financial portfolios, but also just the day to day things that we do in our lives. Uh, you know, the complexity of you know, what the value is of those. How do we go about you know, managing that value? How do we go about managing that risk? Um, it sounds like we're going to get a fascinating story out of today. And Sam, I want to want you to jump in here for a second. Uh, you and I had a chance to talk a few weeks ago. Um, give us a little bit about both your background as well as uh, as you know do its role in uh, you know in helping recognize you know get to the cloud and then optimize themselves in the cloud. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, great to be here. Uh, so yeah, I'm a technical account manager here at Do It International. Um, we're a multi-cloud reselling partner um, working with Google, and uh, we're proud to have been you know Google's partner of the year uh, a few times over the last few years. We focus on a slightly different model to most companies, wherein we we resell the cloud and we do everything for our customers in terms of consulting and support at zero cost to them. So that's a, a pretty interesting cost model. A lot of customers are pretty excited by, as well as then providing the the support and consulting. We also have our own SaaS platform where we provide them dashboards and so on to to be able to understand how things are going in cloud for them. Miguel, before we before we dive into some of that, I, I want to kind of understand, um, you know, as you're as you're building as you're building this platform, as you're building the team, can you talk a little bit about you know the challenges of you know if I if I go to you know most IT organizations, internal IT organizations, you know they're building primarily to solve a use case, right? A line of business has a challenge. Um, you're trying to to solve for those requirements. And and while cost is a an element of what you're doing, you know, for the most part, you're you're trying to you know solve you know capabilities wise. Can you talk a little bit about you know kind of the the transition you've you're going through um, in terms of taking something that was a an internal project and turning it into a business that has to be really cognizant of you know normal business cogs and P and L and and trying to make it into a profitable type. of Yeah, so I think. Or one of the things that interested me about joining Recognite was really the complexity of the problem that we had. To give you a bit of background, we have three products. We each of the products is solving a particularly different business case. So one focuses around the workflow management, how to operate assets, how how to take them from start to the end of the life cycle. We have another product that deals with the operational side of an asset. So, for instance, a shopping mall. How do you actually manage the leases and the tenants of that shopping mall? And then we have a very insights-driven product that allows you to get all the information that you really need or that an asset manager needs to make informed decisions, for instance, if you're given an asset in London, you probably know London inside out. But if you're given an asset in Manchester, you might not know what to do with it. So that platform sort of helps you that. So we started with three very different products, but that in reality are very interconnected with each other. The other challenge that we have, to your point of 
why head in this direction and what were the challenges is we operate fully distributed teams. So we currently have around 34 people across 21 countries um, as part of the engineering team. So some of the traditional development mechanisms weren't going to work for us. So it really had to be the notion of a cloud-based solution that would help us both develop the products to the capabilities and to be able to flex what is needed, but also to accommodate the type of work that we're doing in a safe and secure way. And this, it's something that sort of really takes a lot of time to unpack, but it makes the role and it makes the challenge really interesting of how how do you make it work and happy to dive into the details uh, in a bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I can imagine, uh, you know, I, I, my, my day job, I manage a team that's in, uh, you know, four or five, six different cities, but I imagine you're, you're dealing with things across time zones. You're dealing with things in, uh, you know, different countries in terms of data management and locality. And so, yeah, it, it, complex, uh, distributed problems, both for what the business is trying to do, but also where people are. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So, at the core of your business, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, is is leveraging uh, you know data insights, uh, data analysis, but also you know more and more AI. The things that you've built are in Google Cloud. Uh, you know, amongst the things that that Google does very well, and that most people would would point to, is they would say, you know, Google probably is is far and away you know the leader in terms of of capabilities around AI. I'm curious, um, you know, your background is is in, uh, you know, is an AI PhD in, in that space. How do you go about marrying the things that you know about the business that you know about the industry with the tool set that that Google per, can provide from an AI perspective? Where, where does, you know, sort of where does one start? Where does one stop? How do you go about, you know, finding the best marriage of of your your knowledge with their their capabilities? So that's a really interesting um, question, and it's a very challenging question. Um, Before I fully answer that, I would say the first starting point is not to always be tempted by the shiny things. And what I mean by this is there's there's so many truly interesting problems that we can solve and that we can use some of the new technologies to address but we need to balance that with the business needs. And just recently I was speaking with our data team and we have a really interesting uh, project using generative AI that um, we've kicked off. But then at the same time, we also have the product team asking us, we need some data insights, some really simple analytics from new data that we've captured. And I think for us, the challenge is really balancing what some of the data science team would love to be doing on a day in, day out versus what the business actually needs us to be doing from a day in, day out. Where I think this, where the problem becomes very interesting for us is where we can actually find an innovative solution to what was previously seen as an almost impossible problem. And I think right now where we are, one one of the technologies we use that uh, we developed that's actually very interesting is around doing analysis of indoor quality scores, 
we're using image recognition, we are able to actually score and identify the quality of a property and how much work that property may need. So if you consider this from a usage and application of technology, it's a way to apply existing models and existing capabilities that we're leveraging from Google in order to develop an application that for asset managers, this would be a very laborious task for them to be going sort of asset by asset, photo by photo, in order to even get a sanity check from this. So this is really where it becomes very interesting. I think it's the applied data science and the application of AI more so for a company of our size of trying to develop brand net new models that we would use. It's a bit of balance between the two. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I can imagine, especially, especially these days, you know, the amount of kind of restraint and, and pragmatism that you've got to put on. It's like you said, it's right now there is what feels like unlimited sandboxes and, uh, you know, and so much potential of, of what if, but at the same time, uh, you know, you're, you're not only building a business, you're having to run the business and you're having to do it, uh, you know, in a way that, you know, not only provides business value is cost effective. And, um, so yeah, I can imagine it's a, it's an interesting challenge. It's probably one of those, um, you know, I can, I, I can recall from, from past, you know, from past lives when, you know, technology was sort of booming every day as people sending out emails or sending out Slack, mm-hmm. Hey, look at this, we should try this. And at some point you're like, when are we going to, you know, w- w- those are all cool, but w- when does something get done? Um, so yeah. I imagine that's an interesting sort of trade-off you're going through. Yes. And it's, I think for us, and having spent a lot of time working with data teams and AI, and we need to recognize that not, I wouldn't even say not all, but actually most data science and AI projects actually fail to deliver value. Yeah. So it's a large experimentation game that we need to approach, which is a bit at odds with some of the product development where we're typically trying to solve known problems as part of the product mm-hmm. versus some of the unknown problems that we're trying to solve as part of AI or as part of data science. So this balancing act in terms of investment of resources um, and even how we build data and how we manage uh, the data. So it's it's very much, I think, describing it as a balancing act is probably the best way, especially once you consider that we need to keep the business objectives at the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sam, I want to, I want to bring you back in. Obviously you work with, with a number of clients, but as, as you begin working with a client uh, like Recognite and you sort of understand not only it's going to be a, a fast growing business, um, but it's, it's going to be one that's going to be in the cloud and potentially as Miguel mentioned, you know, it's going to be doing a lot of experimentation, hence, you know, potentially a lot of cloud costs that may not be the easiest thing in the world to to associate to revenue or ROI, how do you go about starting to work with with uh, you know a client like that to help them, you know, put guardrails in place, put a good framework in place to to operate efficiently in the cloud, um, you know, kind of have visibility of their costs. How do you go about you know thinking about that, not just as a a one off thing, but as a, a you know a, kind of a broader framework for them? Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of the FinOps movement myself, um, and here at Do It We Do quite a bit uh you know in that space but we also realize that uh finops is something that maybe doesn't fit 
every startup. I mean, it's quite a it's quite a big investment sure. in terms of uh, resources and, and everything else to to go along with that. So, you know, we really start from the basics when we start working with a new customer. Uh, the first thing we always start off with is is understanding what their goals are. You know, whether they they really need to make sure that the costs are under control, or or whether maybe they've got other drivers about uh, speed to market or something that that they can let the costs maybe slide for a little bit longer. Inevitably, at some point, um, you know, that there'll be that trigger. There'll be something that happens that that means the focus comes back to costs. And in my experience, that's typically something that's external from the teams that are actually running the workloads. It'll be um, you know, it could, it could be obviously the, the global situation at the moment, um, but it can also be things like, um, uh, you know, some, some sort of increasing costs versus shareholder value. It can be uh, lots, lots of different triggers, even just a, a finance person that sees the bill and, and suddenly jumps back in horror um, that, that the cloud is costing so much. Um, and in those situations, teams tend to sort of run around like there's a fire drill and, and try to optimize everything. And, and then they say, you know, we've done a cost optimization and, and we're finished now, so everything's good. Unfortunately, as uh, most of the listeners will be aware, cloud doesn't stay the same. You know, you, you, your cost optimization will be a, a point in time exercise that, that worries about your current uh, visitor traffic, your, your size of your data sets, um, the number of savings plans, reserved instances, cards you've got in place, whatever that is. And over time, that workload's going to change. And so will the uh, the things that make it cost effective. So once we understand, you know, what the important things are to the customer and, and why they want to try to reduce those costs, um, then we start with the the real basics. And I mean, if if uh, if anyone out there is is actually trying to optimize costs, I think the most important thing, like the FinOps uh, mantra always says, is to inform. You you can't optimize what you can't understand. So we provide our customers with a, a managed dashboard solution or analytics solution, I should say that allows them to see and, and divide up their costs across multiple clouds um, as in any way they want to do it. So whether that's by uh, workload teams or by departments or whatever they've uh, tagged and labeled across their entire Google infrastructure, um, we can then show them those costs, break them down by hour, by day, by week, by year, whatever it is, and give them some indications on why it's good and why it's bad. Um, over time, then, of course, we, we hope to drive that down, drive the, the unit economics down as the customer understands more about what their biggest costs are and, and where they can take them. No, it makes sense. I, you know, we've had a chance to talk quite a bit about FinOps on the show. And one of the challenges is always the, just at the most basic level, the, the language and the visibility that finance teams understand uh, and, and sort of maybe uh, anticipations they have or just you know, perspective they have is, is always going to be very different than, than what technologists have to think about and, and, you know, the way that they have to, go about building and, and where costs come from. So, yeah, I think having just sort of those frameworks of tools built in, um, you know, being able to, you know, n- people don't be surprised uh, about things is, is super, super important. Miguel, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I think one of the other great things that, that customers tend to forget about until the, oh, no, it's too late moment is what you mentioned about guardrails. Um, you know, having, having things like budgets uh, are all well and good, but there's no, no point if you're not looking at them on a regular basis, right? So, uh, we have a couple of features as well, and I know that um, Google are, are providing them as solutions as well to their customers in different forms, um, but to do things like cost anomalies, right, and, and alerts that that come through in near enough to real time. I mean, a day or two, cloud billing data is always a bit delayed, but a day or two is, is a whole lot better than a month and a half later finding out that suddenly you've had a, a 50% cost explosion on one project and suddenly you uh, 
Absolutely. Your whole company's worried about the bills. Absolutely, absolutely, Miguel. I want to come back and kind of put this into context. Um, you know, you were you were talking about you know one of the challenges around uh, analytics, data science, AI is you know so much of of what you're doing is you're trying to solve specific business problems, but as part of doing that, um, you know, there's a lot of experimentation that goes on, right? Yep. So you, you don't you don't always know exactly what the outcome is going to be or what the best model is going to be. Um, how do you you know, how do you go about trying to explain that uh, to your management team um, in terms of what's the right, I don't know, the right ROI between how much you experiment versus, you know, what results you get, how how much you, you should be refining things? I can imagine sometimes that can be a complex conversation because you know, on one end, business tends to want things to be definitive and well-defined and have you know, explicit plans. And and then in the data science world, we talk all the time about you know experimentation, being able to do that, and be able to you know iterate rapidly. How does that conversation uh, go on in your world? So I think from from our sides, or at least the approach that we've taken, is to try and divide the problem into small chunks. Um, so rather than going to the business and asking for two four weeks of time and resources to be experimenting, trying to find something, we bring down the hypothesis to a much simpler aspect. And we're trying to prove, does this work in principle? And this allows us not wanting to sort of sound cliche, but to fail fast as, as we go through this, and also to address some of the cost aspect of it. So justifying a few days of work to validate an idea is a lot easier to justify to the business um, a few days than a few weeks worth of work where they get nothing from it. So it's a bit of bringing back the days of rapid prototyping where we accept, you know, models are not going to be perfect. We're not going to have all the answers, but we get an alignment in principle does this look like it's going to work or not? That makes sense. And and do you find that you're able to sort of build upon? Hey, we you know we we did this for an experimentation. You got some results back in a couple of days, and and once you sort of built that trust with the business, that you're not having to do that um, all the time, or is that kind of an iterative process of people now giving you now that now that you've been able to prove it, people are now coming back to you with experimentation ideas. I'm curious you know, how the, the overlap begins to happen between, you know, the business's set of ideas and, and then what you're able to execute on the technology side. Yeah, so you start getting a much better buy-in um, from the business. You know, we've just recently uh, kicked off one of these projects around improving our automated valuation models. And to be honest, the idea behind it felt a bit bonkers uh, when we first put it to, to the business. And they went, all right, okay, you know, have a couple of days, see if it works, and then come back to us. And as we came back to them and sort of said, look, you know, it's it's not final, but the results were promising. There was that moment of, oh, and amusing enough, this was just off the back of a request that we had that was supposed to be a rock-solid idea that generated no deliverable results. Mm-hmm. So I think the business starts to understand that as long as – and, you know, apologies to all the data science teams out there, but as long as you're not seen as a burden to the business, as long as you're able to keep delivering incremental value, 
you're able to take the business in the journey. What I have seen and what I've experienced most of the times is, as Sam was saying, you know, suddenly you have a project that has exploded by 50% extra cost and everyone's looking at each other going, why did this happen? And someone says, oh, you know, it was data science, they were mining or they were building a model and everyone suddenly goes, hang on, what did we get out of it? So having that balance, taking the business on the journey with you is extremely important. But again, what we tend to get is a few questions up front, which is, okay, if you're going to sort of do this with a prototype, if you're going to try this out, how much is this going to cost us? Um, what do we need to do? And I think this is where you know some of the work that we've done with Do It really ends up sort of paying off because in the past, you know, when I first picked up the teams, if someone was to ask me, how much is this project going to cost? It was it was a guess. It wasn't even a guesstimate. It was a guess at that point. I'm curious as 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 the both the relationship that Recognite and, and do it have and, and using tools like FlexSave and, and other things have, have evolved. How has the conversation changed? Um, like you mentioned, people people would kind of come with the normal request of like, well, I'd like this done. How much would it cost? And now you're sort of in a mode where, and, and that's a, you know, that's a very logical way of thinking about it. It's a somewhat reasonable way of thinking about it. But like you said, you know, that probably also is a way of thinking about it when you had to go, you know, build assets in a data center. Now you can, you can get resources really quickly in, in Google cloud. Um, you can have visibility as to sort of how much things are costing. Like, are you finding the conversation has changed somewhat from just, um, how much is that going to cost to, you know, something, something maybe more evolved knowing people now knowing that, Oh, okay. They can get iterations back quickly. Um, are they asking you like, how fast can you do this? Maybe more so than what it would cost, or you know, can we throw bigger models at this in order in order to speed things? Has the conversation changed at all? Yeah, I think since since we started until now, the conversation has evolved significantly. Um, one of the examples is, you know, we often need to refresh our models uh, to retrain them, and we also need to sort of capture new data as we extend into other countries. And in the beginning, we used to get requests that says, that would say, we need to start activating this country. Let us know how much it's going to cost. And the decisions of the business were being made without fully understanding the cost of entry from a data perspective and technology. And now we're able to sort of do the reverse to say, look, this engagement or sort of bring this new data set or entering this country, this has a base cost of X. Does it make sense from a business perspective for us to target it now? And we're starting to find that the business decisions and the direction is a lot more informed rather than being let's call it the opportunistic approach that we had in the past where we would jump at things because it seemed like a good idea at the time without really truly understanding the costs. Now we're at that point that we're able to say, yes, if we go, we go with our eyes open. We go in a meaningful way rather than sort of taking a, a guess as to what's going to happen. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Sam, 
how, how much do you find, I mean, we, we're now in a world where I always say, you know, every, every business decision is, is ultimately a technology decision. Uh, you know, Miguel just sort of highlighted that, like, should we go into a new country? Should we, and that, you know, that drags along, Hey, what are the, what are the regulatory requirements in that country? Can I move data from one to another? H- how do you find, um, you know, providing that cost savings availability to people is is helping to change the conversation with with clients? Um, you know, do you find that that transparency is 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 helpful? Do you, do you find sometimes you have to unclutter the complexity of like, oh, we threw all these numbers at people? How, how is that that sort of helping? Because um, you, know, you guys work primarily in, in Europe. Europe is a a fascinating place, but the fact that every law is somewhat different from country to company can can be complicated. How how does that help with uh, with that complexity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've worked with uh, customers in a lot of industries that have similar types of requirements. And as you mentioned, with um, different countries having requirements to have personal data or personal data of, of, of their citizens in their own country and everything else, it, it really does put a lot of stress on these teams. Um, the ability for them to go back and have a look at what it cost in the past, how much, in, instead of just saying, you know, we, we we think it'll cost a few instances and a few gigabytes of data, they can actually go back and look and see what did this project cost last time when we went to a new country, to a new region within Google or something like that, um, and, and really understand uh, all those sort of, uh, I don't want to say hidden costs, but all those other costs of cloud that um, most people don't ever really get their heads around. I mean, there's, if, you, if you've ever had the the uh, luck to look through a, a billing report from Google, um, there are millions and millions of lines of data for even a, a relatively small company, which makes it really hard for those people to understand the costs. By putting that you know, in, in a nice managed solution and having customers being able to slice and dice that and review those however they want to, I think makes it, makes it a much easier discussion. And, and obviously, over time, companies like Recognite get the the feeling of what a new market costs, and they get a little bit better at making those estimations and providing those up the chain to the people making the decisions uh, as to whether they're going to to go ahead and do that. The other part is that there's always that just in case situation. You know, we 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 thought it would cost X amount, but it actually cost a bit more than that. And so having uh, up to date and real time alerts and notifications, or being able to go and look at those costs straight away and make sure that you're aware of what's happening stops those surprises from from bubbling up. Uh, we've also got, as as uh, we were mentioned earlier with FlexSave, we've also got that ability to try to keep the cost a little bit under control because it's it's really easy just to go and spin up a bigger instance than you really need or, or go ahead and, and deploy more into your autoscaling groups than you might need. So by having FlexSave in place, which you know is, is essentially it's like having a, a managed cub solution, it makes sure that the cost you're paying is what you really need to pay instead of uh, you know that that hundred percent full juice that Google might be charging you. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine it, it, it also, you know, is, is, is important for two reasons. One, you get, um, you know, astute managers, people that you talk to, you know, I find always ask the question, which is, you know, what should I be asking that I didn't know that I, that I, you know, forgot about. Right. So the, the kind of the curiosity of, I'm not going to know everything. Um, I'm coming to you for expertise. Tell me what I should be asking that I didn't ask. feels like it's, it's sort of embedded within the capabilities and then, and then there's also, a, like you said, a certain amount of, you know, while what we're doing is is important to our business, what we feel is unique to our business, you know, most most IT challenges, about eighty percent of them, are pretty horizontal. They're they're pretty common across businesses. So you're also looking for a certain amount of, um, you know, 
help me avoid the common mistakes, help me accelerate my learning curve, help me avoid, you know, kind of the falling down and skinning my knee that can be built into tools and can be, um, you know, kind of uh, become the default, you know, sort of smarter behavior becomes the default. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's, especially in, in these early days when we're dealing with newer technologies, whether it's companies moving to the cloud for the first time, um, you know, leveraging the sort of experimentation that goes on with data science, maybe more so more prevalent in the business. I think it's it's super important to have not just good tooling around it, but also, you know, people with a level of expertise to be able to to help guide you as well. You know, what, what does this stuff mean and so forth? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, you know, we, we, we try to convince because we have this this model with uh, the unlimited and free support. We try to convince our customers to come to us with even the silliest questions, right? Come to us right at the start before you go and invest all your time in in understanding a new thing and figuring out whether it's right for you. Um, I had an example recently with a customer where they they called me up and said that they'd spent about a week looking into a new product um, and weren't able to make it work for the use case. Um, now, without going too much into the details, and you can get really close with a lot of tools, but this particular customer had spent a week trying to do something like that, right? The two products just were never meant to work together. And when they called us up and, and we had a little chat about what the two products were and what they were actually trying to achieve, they realized that they'd basically wasted a full week. So we want to make sure and, and, and provide that guidance. Um, we like to say we're the, the experts for the experts. Um, Miguel and his team know what their company need. They know what their IP is and they know what their goals are. We want to try and ease the the journey through the cloud to make sure that they are spending the time on making their product and not spending the time trying to understand why Google made a choice in the architecture to do X. You know. Yeah, absolutely, Miguel. I want to I want to kind of give you the last word and hit on hit on one last thing before we uh, before we wrap it up. <clears throat> Obviously, the company's growing. You're, you're taking on uh, you know new markets and new challenges. What sort of guidance uh, would you give to to anybody who's you know trying to make AI, uh, a core part of, of their technology stack, but also a, a core part of their business. What are, what are some of the, maybe some of the guidances that you would give to anybody in terms of, um, you know, another CTO in your role? Um, how do you go about doing it effectively? Um, you know, what are some of the, maybe the early wins that you should look for? Uh, you know, what, what's some guidance that you might give to, uh, you know, to appear uh, to, to try and be successful? Well, I would definitely say if you have a partner, like do it, leverage them as much as you can if you don't get one. Um, and the reason why I say this is one of the first engagements um, we probably did with do it was just to go through our environments, work out what projects we had, what was costing us money. Um, because I kid you not, as we started doing the audit of the projects that we were being built for, I had a project that was called Tinder um, in our environments. And obviously went back to the teams asking, okay, guys, what is this about? And it was a zombie project that had been left there. <clears throat> Small initiative that had kicked off at some point and no one knew what it was about anymore. So obviously, when we were trying to look at building costs, doing forecasts, <clears throat> having all this rubbish in there was not helping. So I would really say that if you're starting, do leverage the expertise that is out there. There are some really simple foundational elements, um, such as setting up you know, clean environments, well-named, that will help you to no end 
in order to be able to understand and forecast costs as you grow. Otherwise, you either end up having to do what we did, which was to go back, go through a cost optimization, cleaning up, and really spend a lot of time and effort just getting things back into shape. But as Sam said before as well, if you are able to start off on the right page um, with some of this, your life will be significantly easier. Good stuff. Yeah. No, I, 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 and I appreciate the, I appreciate sort of the openness to share those things. I think, uh, you know, finding, finding good partners, but also recognizing where your strengths are and, and where you can, where you can optimize through, through other people is, is super, super important. Uh, guys, I want to thank both of you for your time today. I know, uh, you're, you're obviously both very, very busy. Uh, we appreciate the time and, and the, the chance to, to share your learnings with this. Um, Sam, one last thing, you know, if, if folks want to, you know, engage with the team, engage with, uh, you know, take advantage of, 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 uh, a flex save, what, what's, uh, what's the best way to go about doing that? Yeah. The easiest way is to find us at doit.com, D-O-I-T.com, um, and, uh, find out how to become one of our customers and, and obviously get all those savings. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Miguel and Sam, both of you, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, it was great to, uh, like I said, great to both um, get to know what you're building, but also, you know, kind of learn from your experiences. Hopefully, folks, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, you're you're always asking us for, you know, real, uh, you know, real experiences from folks, real uh, kind of end users, people building this firsthand. Hopefully this was useful. Uh, with that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening today. Thank you to everybody for continuing to tell a friend about the show and helping us grow the community. And with that, I'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 